The Edge of the World Art Studio is proud to present Helen of the Iron Horse, written by Paris Danielle Lee. Artwork by Helen Rachel Lee. Music by Fish Zombie and the Onions. And a special thanks to Spooky the Cat for her contributions, fuzzy as they might be. Chapter 6 The Girl in a Cage I set out my fine china tea set, positioning spoons, cups, saucers, and sugar bowls for two. I had a train car to myself. It was my father's private car. It was a little bit drawing room, office, dining room, and bar. It also had a bed that drew down if some of the other furniture was moved. The small dining table was only big enough for two and barely had room for my tea set. I double-checked the setting, satisfied it was perfect. I stood before the door that separated my car from the rest of the train. I waited for Achilles. I did not realize I was twisting my necklace back and forth around my finger. I had checked my library earlier, just to be sure. I found no version of the myth where we ever met, Achilles and I. This was new. If I could befriend him at this stage of the game, maybe he could help us find a way out. Maybe he could find a way out for himself. I stood by the door and waited. Nothing happened. I very carefully put away the china tea set and set up my silver tea set. I double-checked the placement until it was perfect. Then I stood by the door and waited. I still did not realize I was twisting my necklace back and forth around my finger. Odysseus and Paris made their way through the train, weaving down the aisles. Listen, Anna, I feel I have to warn you. Most people find Helen to be a little eccentric. She has an overactive imagination, so if she says anything strange, it could be best just to humor her rather than upset her. Whatever happens... Don't let her out of the private car. She is safe there, and her safety is your only duty, explained Odysseus. A sense of deja vu washed over Paris. The train car was the corridor. Odysseus was the well-dressed man. He was giving her instructions. And there was a door at the end of the train car, behind which waited the most beautiful woman in the world. She had had this dream. She wondered if she was dreaming now. This is the Taggett family butler. They had reached the door, and beside it stood a man in a tuxedo. He is allowed in the car only during meals. All other times, only you and Helen are permitted inside the private car. If anyone else enters for any reason, you are authorized to shoot them dead. This is part of the contract. Even I am not allowed past this door. However, between you and me, in an emergency, let me explain before you shoot me. Paris nodded in agreement. She couldn't seem to speak. Odysseus pulled at a ribbon around his wrist. From it, a key tied to the end popped into his hand. He unlocked the door and opened it. Paris did not wake up. The door remained open. This was really happening. You have to go in alone. I can't follow. Don't worry. I'm sure she'll just love you. 
Paris stepped over the threshold. I heard the key slip into the lock. I saw the handle turn. I held my breath. Paris stepped through the door. Behind her, the door closed and locked. I had no idea who Paris was. You're not Achilles, I said weakly. Um, no, was all Paris could reply. I examined her. She was wearing men's clothes, but not to hide that she was a woman. The straps and buckles of her gun holsters crisscrossed around her shirt and slacks, holding them tight to the curves of her legs, hips, and chest. She was more obviously a woman than I was. In my corset and bustle, most of me was hidden. Her hair was short, like a boy, who had let it grow out. It was slightly curly and clumped together in little spikes. It reminded me of blackbird feathers. She didn't move. She didn't speak. Could she be Penthesilia, the queen of the Amazons? She looks strong. She was certainly well-armed. Could she be the warrior woman returned to me? I stepped closer and put my hand on her chest. I could feel her heart beating. It was racing. She was warm. No, I was flushing. I was melting under her stare. My heart sped up to meet hers. Who was she? I reached up to touch her hair and looked deeply into her eyes. The all-black pools seemed to go on forever. Are you Asian? The question dragged her from her trance, and Paris answered, My father was from China. Is that a problem? Oh, no. Just the opposite. It makes you look... Sexy is what I thought. Exotic is what I said. Then it hit me. I leaned in even closer and breathed deep. She smelled of dust and hay, mixed with leather and soft perfumes. Flowers. Roses, maybe. Also, gunpowder. That was new. It had to be Paris. It was Paris. The shepherder turned prince. He always smelled of the fields of summer and the perfumes of royalty. No, not he. She. Paris was a girl in this life. I don't care. She's still my Paris. I found her. We were together again. Paris, you've come for me. I put my arms around her and set my head on her shoulder. Are you here to rescue me? Paris stiffened. I felt the tiniest step backwards. I'm sorry, miss, but my name is Anna, Anna Lee. I'm your bodyguard. My heart broke. She didn't know. She wasn't aware of the game. I had hoped for a moment we could run away together, now, before the wedding. We could avoid the war altogether. I guess, though, that's always the plan, isn't it? We run away, and the war finds us. Our fate cannot be denied. But our freedom is a prize I can still win. Your name is Anna? Are you sure? I'm pretty sure of my own name, yes. It's just that Paris looked just like you. You could be the same person. 
Sorry, miss. Was this Paris a friend of yours? My oldest. But she got lost. Someday I hope to find her again. Meanwhile, if I forget and accidentally call you Paris, will you forgive me? I was trying not to cry. Of course. Come, have tea with me. Hades stood in line before a ticket counter. It had been over 100 years since he had come up for a walk around, and the living world had a strange way of changing on him. He got on the train. Then, a man in a round hat with a flat top told him he needed to buy a ticket. So he got off the train and asked a lady where he could buy a ticket. She looked at him like he was an idiot, just because she was standing in the line for the tickets. He got in line behind her. When it was her turn, she seemed to take forever. He began to fantasize about all the ways the woman could die. He decided catapult would be the most appropriate. In his mind, she sat on it, squatting comfortably in the large spoon apparatus as men turned an enormous wooden wheel. The tension would build as she asked questions to the clerk. How far is it going? Click, went the catapult. Will it be a fast trip? Click. Will they be serving dinner? Click. Fine, one ticket please. Boing! In Hades' mind, the woman was launched into the distance, never to be seen again. In reality, though, she just walked away. Hades stepped up to the counter. I would like a ticket for the train. Which train? asked the clerk. That train. Hades pointed out the window. Which train is that? I don't know. The black one. What platform is it on? That platform. Hades pointed out the window. The clerk looked up at the god. The god looked down at him like he was sitting on a catapult. Where do you want to go? I want to go with the train. Where is the train going? I don't know. That way? Hades pointed out the window. How can I give you a ticket for a train when you don't know where it's going? I can't just write a ticket up for every train. Why not? It would cost like $50. The clerk threw his hands in the air. Hades took out two large gold doubloons. I'm sorry, I think this is Spanish currency, but I'm sure the queen would honor it. The coins hit the table with a loud pump-pump. The clerk quickly slid the coins off the table and into his own pocket. He then made out eight different tickets to eight different trains, all for their final destinations, and slid them over to Hades. Wherever you're going, one of these will work. Just hand them over to the engineer. Next, he yelled, looking past the now happy god of death. Paris sat across the small table from me. The train gave a slight lurch forward. The tea set rattled for a moment, then settled. Looks like we're on our way, I said, as we headed west. I have to apologize. The tea is a bit cold, because I have no way of heating water in here. I poured Paris some tea. She took the cookie from the top of the three-tiered plate. Oh, no, that's a cookie. It's for last. You have to eat the scone first. 
It's the triangle-shaped cookie on the bottom tier. Then you eat the sandwich. That's the two cookies on top of each other in the middle tier. Then you can have the cookie on the top tier. But they're all the same cookie. I know. I didn't have many supplies in here, but I had a bag of cookies I smuggled out of the kitchen at home. Oh, I guess it's not home anymore. Well, anyway, the forms can still be observed. Besides, tea isn't about the snacks, or even the tea. It's about the company and observing the ritual. I poured myself some tea and took a sip with my pinkies out. Paris lifted her glass and mimicked my gesture. She took her sip and then began to try to hold back her laughter. She looked so happy. I couldn't help but laugh a little too. <laughs> okay, I admit it. I don't have any tea either. This is just water. Paris was now laughing in full. No, <laughs> no, it's okay. Don't feel bad, Paris claimed. I can honestly say that this is the best tea I've ever had. She smiled at me. There was a little joke there somewhere. It struck me. You've never had tea before, have you? No. <laughs> we both laughed. When we calmed down, I asked, Would you like something stronger? There may be no tea in here, but my dad's bar is fully stocked. No, thank you. I've been told I should cut back. Told by who? My brother. Hector? Edgar. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. He's the oldest. The oldest of how many? I have twelve brothers. Twelve brothers? Your parents must have been very affectionate. Paris smiled and hid a blush. That they were, but some of my brothers are adopted. My father had a tendency not to leave anyone out in the cold. He always said, you don't have to be born into a family to become family. Twelve brothers, I thought. The number of the brothers. My mind filed it away, information I didn't know what to do with yet. Now I had two pieces of the puzzle. And what about your sister Polly? I don't have a sister Polly. There's just the thirteen of us. Oh, uh, that's too bad. I always liked Polly. Paris looked confused. Sometimes there were people who didn't return to the game. I didn't know why or where they went. I hoped that they were content in Tartarus, or maybe they were inventions of storytellers who passed the legend down through time. Where was Paris's sister Polyzena? Where was Mentelaus, who should be my husband? Why was I supposed to marry Agamemnon directly? Maybe I met them, and they passed by unrecognized. Maybe they will still cross my path. I worry about Ajax. Too many unknowns. At least I had Paris. Did I have Paris? Can I ask you a question? If you don't wish to say, you don't have to. But who is paying you to guard me? Technically, the Pinkertons. But really, the railroad, Paris said, embarrassed. You're a Pinkerton? Just for the length of this journey. So your loyalties lie with the railroad? No, just the opposite. I hate the railroad hate them. Why? I don't know. My brother says I'm being unfair. Hector? Edgar. The railroad first appeared in town 
when my mom died and my father left. He said, when I think about the railroad, it reminds me of their loss. But I'm not sure. Paris sat for a moment. Her eyes drifted out the window to the moving vista beyond the train car. Before the railroad, I would ride out into the wild beyond the city and the homesteads. As I rode, the day slowed and the wind cooled. Then the coyotes would come out to run beside me. They were kings of the wild places, and they would welcome me like a visiting prince. I hunted for rabbits. The coyotes would listen to the cries of the hawks and the owls. Then they would take off through the brush. If I followed, it always led me to a warren of rabbits. I would get one for me and two for them. I would set up camp and start a fire. Skinning the rabbits, I cooked mine and left the two for them raw. They would come into my camp, and we would eat our fill. Then I'd lay back and watch the stars as the fire died, and sleep took us all. In the morning, they would be gone, along with the rabbit bones. I would saddle up and ride back home. Then the railroad came. I've been out since, and now the coyotes watch me suspiciously from a distance. They will not run with me. They will not hunt with me. The birds fly before me, warning all the other animals of my presence, chasing off the prey before I could get near. I'm lucky if I could find even one rabbit, and if I do, I don't eat it. I don't eat meat at all anymore. I leave it for the coyotes. But in the morning, it will still be there, untouched. I no longer go hunting. Something is wrong. Men have chosen to betray nature. They built this monstrosity and let it scar the land with smoke and oil. And the land has exiled us for that betrayal. Sad thing is, no one noticed. Paris continued to look out the window. Sometimes I wish this horrible thing would just break down and be left to rust. And being in this thing, it's suffocating. I feel locked in. You are locked in. What? The door. They locked it behind you. Paris looked at the door, got up, and tried the knob. It wouldn't budge. Don't worry. I'm sure that if you banged on the door, Odysseus would eventually come and let you out. Odysseus? The Pinkerton with the shiny shoes? Oscar. If he says so. Why would they put locks on the outside of the door? If it's to keep you safe, shouldn't the locks be on the inside of the door? The locks don't keep people out. They keep me in. I sipped from my teacup and took a bite of cookie. That's how it's been. One of my earliest memories was being told I am not to leave the house as a child. I never did. Until I went to boarding school in France, I was locked in a carriage, then locked in a stateroom of a large ship. The ship sailed to France, where I was locked in a carriage and then locked in a school. But in the school, there was a library, and the library was mine to explore. I may have read every book in it. Then I began to request books that were not in it. They would buy them for me. The books showed me the world I was being kept from. I began to see it for what it was and who I was in it. I was a prisoner. Every nanny, maid, cook, butler, and bodyguard were really my jailers. 
even you. I'm no such thing. I was hired to protect you, and that is all I agreed to. And if I should try to walk out of this train car? Paris sat quietly, then answered, I'm not supposed to let you. Don't be sad. I can't express how glad I am that you are here. Would you like to see my library, or at least what's left of it? Of course. I went to retrieve my suitcase. I struggled only a little to get it up and on the desk. What's in this case is all I possess in the world. The train car, the train, the tea set, even my clothes belong to my father. They are left for me by maids and servants, but they come and go. I have no say in it. Everything is on loan. None of it is ever mine to keep. Until I was scheduled to leave school in France. Penelope gave me this suitcase. Who is Penelope? asked Paris. I could not tell if she was curious or jealous. Penelope was one of my professors. She taught etiquette and astrology. Do you mean astronomy? Oh yes, of course. Anyways, they were loading the carriage. I told them I forgot my travel case and I hurried to the library. I filled this case with my favorite books and I rushed back. I could barely lift it. The porter who loaded it looked at me suspiciously when he felt the weight. I thought for sure he would open it and I would be caught, but he just smiled and said it with the rest. I didn't let anyone else touch it after that. I took it off the carriage and carried it to the stateroom myself. I was never so relieved to hear the lock set in place. I stole them. They were mine. By the time the school would notice them missing, I would be on my way to New York and it would be cheaper to replace them than to send them back. I opened up the case. There were, of course, books on Greek myth, but also Egyptian and Norse. There was Islands of the Pacific and Castles of the East. One was the works of the late Edgar Allan Poe. I've read that one, Paris pointed at it. What are these? A section of the books were little better than paper magazines. They were small in comparison and printed on cheap paper, but they seemed to be a set. Paris took out a few and read, Volume 2, Outlaws of the West. Volume 3, The Wild Stories of the Texas Rangers. Volume 4, Savages in a Savage Land. Those are my books on the Wild West. Volume 1 is missing. Oh yes, I gave that one to my sister. You have a sister? Yeah, she lives down south. South of what? Everything. It was called Gunslingers of the Old West. Are you a gunslinger? I've been known to sling a gun or two, yes. But gunslinger is not a profession. I work at the gun shop in my town. Is that why you have so many guns? Partially, yes. They are, how did you put it, on loan. Would you like to see one? Yes, please. Paris drew from one of the holsters in the small of her back. I cupped both of my hands. She set the gun in them. It was heavy and cold, but it felt somehow alive. This is the only one that is actually mine. This is a Colt single-action army, I said proudly. The U.S. stamp on it would imply that it is a service revolver issued to a Union officer during the war. How did you come by it? My mother gave it to me. 
said it had been my grandfather's. Who was a Union officer? No, he was a Confederate. How did he get it? I once asked my mother the same thing. He got it the same way he got everything. He killed a man for it. I felt the life of it. It had failed its first two masters. It had been set aside by a third. Now Paris carried it. This gun looks to redeem itself, I said. I think I can help. I handed the gun back to Paris and searched the bar until I found a match. I lit it, then let it burn a little, and blew it out. I rubbed it between my fingers, spreading the charcoal. I stepped back to Paris. Okay, kneel here. Why? Just do it. I promise it won't hurt. Paris knelt. I put my thumb on Paris's head, leaving a charcoal mark. Now hold out the gun. She did, and I set a charcoal mark on the barrel of the gun. To the god who follows. This is my champion. This is her weapon. May they be undefeated in my cause. I looked down at her. Is that it? she asked. That's it, I said. Will it help? It couldn't hurt. This has been Helen of the Iron Horse, read by Paris Lee. Artwork by me, Helen Lee. All characters within are fictional and bear no intentional resemblance to anyone living or dead, except, I guess, for Helen and Paris. See more of my artwork and Paris's writing at edgeoftheworldart.com. If you would like to comment on the show or ask any question, please email us at helenoftheironhorse at gmail.com. This podcast was made with the love and support of all of our friends at the LA LGBT Center's Trans Lounge. Thank you.